Little Leaders, Visionary Women Around the World by Vashti Harrison. Sankupi Gloria Fletcher, 1937-2011 to 2011. Ceramicist and visual artist from Australia. Sankupi grew up in a tight Aboriginal community in a mission town near Weeper, Queensland, Australia. When she was young, everyone from the various tribes lived together speaking different languages, including hers, Tainakwe. The female elders passed down traditions, stories and legends and taught their unique symbols by drawing in the sand. This is where Sankupi fell in love with art. Although she was shy, Sankupi dedicated herself to educating the young, as well as to making traditional art. In her mid-thirties, she shocked everyone by announcing she was leaving to study art in Sydney, one of the biggest cities in Australia. Although she intended to study painting, Thankupi ended up in the ceramics studio. In Weeper, clay was sacred, to be used only as body paint for ceremonial purposes, and it was not to be touched by children. Even as an adult, Thankupi was hesitant to break the rules, but also a little bit excited. With pottery, she could celebrate her culture. In her signature bowls and spheres, she used intricate patterns and symbols to trace the stories of her people, etching history on their surfaces. Her clay sculptures have been exhibited around the world, and Shai Thankupi became one of Australia's greatest artists. When she returned home, she could see the community changing. The older people were dying, and with them, their culture and customs. By the time she became a primary elder, Thankupi was the last fluent speaker of the Tainakwith language. In an effort to preserve it, she worked for 10 years recording audio and writing down stories to create Thankupi's Guide to Language and Culture, a Tainakwith Dictionary. One of her goals was to instill a sense of cultural pride in the younger generation. She mentored young artists and founded the Weeper Festival to teach children the traditional songs, dances and language. Aiko Ishioka, 1938-2012 Art Director, Production Designer from Japan 
By the time Aiko was seven, she knew she wanted to follow in her father's footsteps and become a graphic designer. At the time, though, design was a career strictly for men. Although her father warned her against it, he didn't stop her from trying because he knew Aiko was born to go against the grain. At college, her male peers didn't believe she could be successful, and even when she won one of Japan's biggest awards in advertising, they undercut her success by claiming she won only because she was a woman. From that day, Aiko vowed to work hard and prove them wrong. She adopted a mantra. Timeless. Revolutionary. Original. Everything she created would live up to those standards. In her 20 years in advertising, Aiko was a powerhouse. Her unique aesthetic was unmistakable, and she was soon considered Japan's foremost art director. Because she had more creativity to offer, and more barriers to break, she switched fields and began to work in production design, creating elaborate sets for movies and plays. Then she tried something totally new. Costume design. American filmmaker Francis Ford Coppola hired her to create costumes for his adaptation of Bram Stoker's classic novel, Dracula. I co-created designs that were pure outward expressions of the creepy darkness of the story. The final products were so striking that they are typically the first thing associated with the film. For her incredible work, Aiko was awarded an Academy Award in 1993. Aiko went on to create costumes for the like of Björk, Grace Jones, Julie Taymor, Tarsem Singh and Cirque du Soleil, creatives known for their unique avant-garde styles. They pushed the boundaries of beauty and Aiko helped bring those ideas to the forefront through costume and design. Her many awards do little to showcase how big an impact she's had on the world of design, not only for men, but for anyone who likes to go against the grain. Wangari Maathai 1940-2011 Environmentalist and activist from Kenya Wangari was born in the Kenyan village of Ihitha. Her parents were farmers and members of the Anjuru clan of the Kikuyu. Each clan is marked by a unique trade or gift. Wangari's is known for its leadership. Her people had a strong connection to the land, and in Wangari's youth it was lush and fertile. Food was abundant, and seasons changed like clockwork. But the country was changing. Over-cultivation and deforestation ravaged the landscape, and revolution was on the horizon. Kenya was under long-time British rule, 
But in the 1950s, the Mau Mau Rebellion, led by a large coalition of freedom fighters, began. Meanwhile, encouraged by a teacher in high school, Wangari developed a love for science. She earned her undergraduate degree in biological sciences and her master's degree in the United States. At the University of Nairobi in 1971, she became the first woman in either East or Central Africa to earn a doctorate. She served on the National Council of Women of Kenya, whose goal was to support and unite the many groups around the country, especially as the newly independent Kenya was taking shape. There, she proposed that women should plant trees, both to conserve the environment and to improve their quality of life. She expanded this idea to create the Green Belt Movement, which spread to many other countries. Wangari helped women plant more than 20 million trees on farms and at schools and church compounds, a project that ensured fuel for cooking and a more nutritious diet. In 2004, Wangari received the Nobel Peace Prize for her contribution to sustainable development, democracy and peace. Wangari was also a member of the Parliament of Kenya, advocating for human rights and women's rights. Wangari believed that a positive attitude and trust in people's inherent goodness were essential to making change. She was a fierce fighter and leader for democracy, human rights and environmental conservation. Calypso Rose, born 1940, Calypso singer from Trinidad and Tobago. MacArthur Linda Sandy Lewis was born on Tobago, the smaller of the two islands that make up the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Although a tiny nation in the Caribbean, it has had a huge impact on the world of music as the birthplace of Calypso. With strong folkloric roots, Calypso music has always reflected the people's lives and struggles, but is also defined by its upbeat rhythm and vibe. Every year in the Caribbean, the music and dance celebration known as Carnival takes place. This is where Rose made her name. Despite growing up with a pronounced stutter and a father who did not approve of the carnival scene, Rose was drawn into it. In 1955, at the age of 15, Rose wrote her first song, Glass Thief. Inspired by real events, it was one of the first Calypso songs to focus on the unjust treatment of women. Calypso had long been defined by its most famous male performers, and many made their name by winning the biggest competition around, the Calypso King, held at the annual carnival celebrations. 
1963, Rose entered the competition, performed her hit song Cooperation, and won the title of Calypso King for the year. No woman had ever won, so the title had never been considered exclusionary. A few years later, Rose won again, and again. In 1978, the organisers of Carnival changed the name to Calypso Monarch, paving the way for more girls to enter the competition. Rose's name has become synonymous with Calypso. She has written more than 800 songs and recorded more than 20 albums. All along her journey, she has broken down barriers and defied expectations. And she has been widely recognised for bringing a strong female perspective into the world of Calypso and using her music as a voice for women in the Caribbean. Flossie Wong Stahl, born 1947, virologist and molecular biologist from China, Hong Kong, and the USA. Born Wang Yiching in China, Flossie fled the communist revolution with her family when she was five years old and settled in what was then the British colony of Hong Kong. At her Catholic school, the teachers encouraged her family to take English names. For Yiching, her father chose Flossie, the name of a recent typhoon. Maybe he knew that one day his daughter would be a force to be reckoned with. At high school, students had to choose a course of study, science or the humanities. Flossie was interested in literature and poetry, but she chose science and never looked back. She studied biology and microbiology in the USA. In the 1960s and 70s, many molecular discoveries were made, and it was an exciting time to be in that field. Flossie was part of a wave of new young researchers, hoping to make the next big discovery that could help the world. In 1973, she began working on viruses, at the National Cancer Institute. In the early 80s, a new disease was spreading, like nothing doctors had ever seen. Unusual infections in some patients, with aggressive cancers in others. It was called Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, AIDS. Within a year of the first case being discovered, more than 100 people had already died from it. The clock was ticking to figure out what was causing it. Scientists determined it had to be a virus, and in 1983, Flossie and her team identified HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus, as the cause of AIDS. The first step towards a solution is identifying the problem, so this was a landmark discovery. Over the next two years, Flossie worked to help develop a test to see if someone was carrying the virus and to find a treatment. 
She is one of the leading scientists in the world on this subject. Flossie has developed more than 40 tests, procedures and inventions relating to HIV, AIDS and other illnesses, proving that inventing and discovering don't have to look big to be impressive. Even something microscopic can change the world. Little Leaders Visionary Women Around the World by Vashti Harrison